Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TCK Care the Podcast with your host Stephen Black as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs in all walks of life. And today we are going to be uh, sharing a story that I feel is really going to address the TCK family um, from one family that has served overseas for a long time and is still involved in um, sending other families overseas, uh, Steve and Deborah Rowe. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hello. Good afternoon, Stephen. Good to have you guys with me. Um, hey, can you tell me where you guys are from? I will go first. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> I am from my mother's womb. Yeah. Pasadena, California, 1951, and I spent most of my whole life in West Covina, California. Hmm. Sidebar, it is totally relevant, sometimes downright helpful to have that, uh, to just use your birth story as your from story, because that works for a lot of people. You know, uh, the more convoluted your story gets, right, it's easier to just say, this is where I was born. And then that can be a go-to answer every time. <laughs> yeah, I was born, uh, my parents went to Brazil in 1955, so I was born there in 1956. And like I like to say to people, I just stayed there my whole life. I did college there and grew up there, and then we worked on the field there. So I'd say I'm from Brazil. Nice. And now you live in Arizona, right? California. Feels like California. It. Okay. Gotcha. There's a lot of similarities with Southern California. <laughs> the desert. Yes, we do live in the desert. And I miss the rain and thunder. Mm, I bet. I don't know about you guys, but we had uh, we had um, zinc roofs growing up, and just hearing a good a good solid rainstorm late at night is just just soothing, just like a lullaby. Yeah, you just brought up some memories in my mind of zinc roofs. We didn't live in a house of zinc roofs, but it was very common to be in places that had that. And I, I remember that sound too. Hmm. So how long have you been back in California, Deborah? We moved back here permanently. Was it May of last year? In March. Oh, March of, yeah, of last year. Okay. And bought a home and put down roots. Yeah. So just about a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, and so um, if we can just jump into things a little bit here, um, I I was hoping that you guys would just share uh, your story, the story of uh, of David, your son. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what happened with David? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in Brazil. We were in our second term around maybe June of 1994. We had gone there in January of 88. And David began having signs of, uh, he was kind of pale, and uh, he was getting repetitive sore throats and headaches. And we went to the doctor and had a variety of tests done, and they determined he doesn't need glasses. And uh, it came to the point where the doctor wanted to Give, put them on antibiotics, and I became very insistent that they do a blood test before they continue on with any kind of treatment. And although the doctor didn't want to, which I never really figured out why, um, they did it. 
And we got a call the next morning that he had leukemia and that we had to take him to a huge hospital that specialized in uh, childhood cancer, especially with the blood. And uh, very well known in Brazil. And we happened to live in the same city. And we did. And uh, the next day we were off to the hospital. It might have been that day. And uh, he was crying. I was crying in the front seat. My wife was crying. We were driving to an area we didn't know very well. And David, at nine years of age, said, Mom and Dad, at least I know that if I die, I'll go to heaven to be with Jesus. Yeah, and another thing that's vivid in my mind is um, we had been there for a two-year home, uh, you know, assignment on the field, and then we were going to come here for six months. So we were getting all excited and planning um, our six-month home assignment, and we're going to go to Disneyland and all. So that's kind of the context in which I think it was two weeks. Oh, yeah, two weeks before we we're going to get the plane to come back to the States. That's when Steve just said, you know, you have to do a blood test. And uh, I think they didn't want to do blood tests because they don't want to cause unnecessary suffering to a child, you know, pricking him and stuff. But, I mean, that was the Brazilian mentality. So that's when the whole world just uh, turned upside down. And uh, we couldn't travel. Praise God we found out because his platelets were just practically zero. And um, if he had gotten the plane, he would have bled a lot. So, you know. And we happened to live in that city that we weren't even aware had the best uh, or one of the best uh, cancer centers for treating children in all of Latin America. And we happened to live in the city. As a matter of fact, we began to see God's fingerprints all over this circumstance when we realized we had uh, started our missionary career in the city of Sao Paulo. And it would have literally been havoc to try to treat this there. And so we had we had come to this city called Campinas about an hour and a half out of Sao Paulo. It's where Deborah was born, actually. And uh, anybody from Southern California would recognize that uh, the swallows from San Juan Capistrano fly south on their migratory pattern to the very city where we were living. But we didn't realize that uh, we came to appreciate later that, wow, God took us to the city that would be ideal uh, for treating this disease. Mm. So they took him. He was, uh, he started on um, a protocol that, uh, you know, we, I think we had 10 days direct in the hospital and we began to get a sense of David's faith. You know, I think one of the things that weighs on all of us as missionaries when we consider our children, our TCKs, is what is the experience going to do in their life? And um, I had always sworn that if anything in the area of health come upon my family, we are going back to the States and we're going to do treatment there. But there was no way I was going to stay in Brazil. And uh, during these 10 days, um, David's heart was really bonded with the people that were giving him care. And he had a real sense of peace. Uh, we had to make a decision. Do we want to try to go back to the U.S. or treat it there? And basically, we asked David, 
what he would want to do. And he was very adamant that he wanted to stay in Brazil and treat leukemia. And uh, during those 10 days, it was amazing how many opportunities we had uh, to share with people about Christ, other families that were suffering and under the shock of getting their diagnosis. And um, David said to us one night, he said, Dad, he said, if anyone comes to know Jesus through this, it will all be worth it. And that's such an amazing thing, I think, for a, especially a nine-year-old to say. But it kind of set the compass for us in that um, God's in this, and it's going to be something that is beyond our immediate family. David was already casting a vision for us, for the family, that God is in this. And... Uh, he wanted to see people come to know Christ through it. So as parents, I mean, he was a normal nine-year-old, you know, he had, he lost his temper sometimes. We had, you know, he was the firstborn. Um, but that's what we uh, are in such an awe of when he found himself in this situation. It's like the gold just came out in his heart and God just really shined through him. I think better than he sh shine through us because, <laughs> you know, we want to control, we want to protect, and we assume responsibility for anything that happens to our children. And so um, as we were struggling with that emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and everything, he just seemed to have this God-given peace, and um, I came to kind of understand better when it says we have to have faith like a child, I think because maybe they can acknowledge they don't have control better than we can, and he just chose to trust. So it's not an ignorant, a faith like a child is not an ignorant faith. He was very aware of everything in his treatment. The, the hospital was their philosophy was you you say everything to the child you know your chances of survival what the medication is going to do everything um because then the child would feel secure in the treatment and not feel like they're being lied to so we really appreciated that but yeah god really um spoke through him to us just a as an add-on we did have assurance from uh, medical people that he would receive as good a treatment for the cancer as he would have received in the States in the sense that of the protocol that they were using. Um, th there was a Brazilian who happened to be doing us a, a student. Well, he happened to be making a visit at the hospital and he was working at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. And he, he's told us, he said, Steve, we're going to do the same thing in L.A. This, this protocol is something that's worldwide. The thing we came to find out later is that there, there are comfort measures that uh, would have been taken in the U.S. that were not taken in Brazil all the time. Um, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't know that till later. Yeah. Earlier when you had said that you would have come back to the States to deal with health care issues, that was a question... Um, that popped up in my mind that, you know, whether things would have been 
whether you would have received a higher degree of care, because I know there's other places in the world where, you know, they might be more capable at treating this even, maybe even more capable than we are. And mm -hmm. um, certainly, like, when you experience a, a great amount of uncertainty and pain, like, you want to go home, right? You want to go to that safe place where you know your you know your culture and you know your people and you have your family around you and they're going to support you. Um, but at the same time, it definitely sounds like staying in Brazil was a very valid option for you guys in that in that situation. It sounds like David was very very for it, um, and it sounds like he received some really excellent medical care. And I'm sure he wouldn't have stayed there if if that wasn't true, right? If it was like receiving care or not receiving care, it would have been a different question altogether. Right, and it actually. Um... Yeah, eventually we came to the U.S. when it was determined that he needed a bone marrow transplant because they weren't doing that there at that point. And there was a, uh, a compatibility, a donor here in the U.S. But, you know, there was a real tight-knitted community, I think, among the, the staff and the people they were serving. Um, I think it really was satisfying uh, to experience that. I do, I, from everything we know, we got just not, nothing impaired the, the his health. Uh, uh, and, and came to find out he had a type of leukemia that there is no cure for. Came to find out. It well, happen. he had the Philadelphia chromosome even though he had ALL, which had 70% rate of cure at the time, we didn't know that he had the Philadelphia chromosome, which wasn't addressed at that point there. You know, we found out two years later. And with that, you always have a relapse. Mm -hmm. So it could have been, uh, like the doctors had told us, had we gone to the States initially, they might have just gone into doing bone marrow transplants. And uh, it turned out the doctor he had here in the U.S. Uh, was from Brazil. Um, and so it was very interesting. Uh, that was meaningful to David. And uh, he he said that, you know, you probably bought two years of life because you didn't come to the States because he was able to carry on a, a life uh, during that treatment. Now, it wasn't all sad for us. It's what's very interesting is that it was a very united time as a family. Uh, the mission was very compassionate, understanding. They said, Steve, make your family, your your first uh, priority. Uh, I did continue on some teaching, but it was on a lighter scale. Uh, and we were really given the the go ahead to just make sure you're taking care of David and your, your kids. So that's what we did. And uh, yeah, our children remember it in positive ways. Uh, David and uh, Krista, the second born, and Jonathan, our third born, uh, they have good memories, really, as a family, and we, we, we do, too. It wasn't uh, like there was a shadow hanging over our head all the time. We knew laughter. We knew good family times. And, you know, you still know some of the other, too, obviously. Well, it obviously immersed us into a world that we always knew was out there, and um, but you didn't see you know, and so our whole world became other families whose kids were in treatment. You're just immersed in it. But I'd have to add to what Steve said about the mission. Um, and that we, in that we experienced total support 
and it was just so meaningful that they said, you know, what Steve said, that to focus on your family, don't worry about ministry. We were actually under-supported during those whole two years that we were in Brazil. And the mission said, don't worry about it. You know, just focus on the family. And um, I think that made a world of a difference to do that. So the whole time you're still feeling guilty because you're being supported by people back here and you're not doing the ministry and all that. So we had to be reminded more than once and just affirmed in that. And even when we, so after two years of treatment, at the last, um, right before we were getting ready to come back to the States again, we are going to go to Disneyland, celebrate that he um, had finished his treatment. And at the last doctor's appointment, we found out he had a relapse. So we had to start it all over again. So that was harder even than the first time because you knew how hard it was going to be. So that's why, like Steve mentioned, at that point, um, we had to get on the plane and get here immediately before his platelets started going down again. But again, it's because of the way the, the mission treated us, the body of Christ, that we have a whole new sense of how important it is, how we need the body of Christ, because some things are more than we can bear. People at times use that verse out of context, you know, God never gives you more you can bear. Well, he's talking about temptation, not about suffering. It is more you can bear. And that's exactly why he, in his ultimate wisdom created the body of Christ because we are not supposed to go be alone. And so we really experienced the support and love of our church in Brazil that we were involved at that time. Mm -hmm. They were right there with us, loving on us. Um, and then the body of Christ in the whole mission as we came back and all the churches that prayed for us, people who are tested to be bone marrow trans and donor and all that to this day, We'll meet people that this is like 20 some years later. They'll say, you know, I was tested to be if I could be a donor for your son. I mean, God really worked through it. So we came back to the States and he did one bone marrow transplant in June of 96. And it was a whole miracle how he found uh, we found a donor. The hospital did. And it and then six months later, he had another relapse. And so they did another transplant. And um, this just came to my mind now, just when you see, you look back and see God's fingerprint, I would never, I don't think God ever asked us to say, I'm so glad this happened to my son. You know, I still say I didn't like it one bit. <laughs> um, that's where God welcomes our transparency because he knows what we're thinking anyway. So might as well not hide it. But um, what was beautiful is like Steve mentioned, um, you know, we came to City of Hope for him to do the two bone marrow transplants. It just so happened that his doctor was from Brazil and just really David had a connection with him. So that was an important detail. And then after David passed away in December of 96, for a um, little bit before Christmas, anyway, after that, um, we requested to meet his donor and she agreed to meet with him with us. And turns out she came from a Christian family too, you know, and um, had been adopted and didn't know a lot about her background, but she had to have a lot of the exact DNA that, that David had, you know. So, you know, God's fingerprints were th are there. He um, He's definitely with us. And that made all the difference. One thing that's, remar one thing that's remarkable to me is that, you know, 
I've had conversations with families who are about to head overseas, and one of the questions, one of those unanswerable questions is, what if the worst should happen, you know, and what if disaster should strike? And for you guys, it did. The worst did happen, and disaster did strike. Um, but it sounds like, it sounds like being overseas wasn't necessarily may not have significantly contributed to your suffering. Would you say that's true? I, I would say that's true. This would have been extremely difficult no matter where you were at. <clears throat> I think the one thing for me, uh, I had, I guess I'd only been there for six years. I was already teaching in Portuguese, but when you go into another co context, like the hospital, <laughs> there's a whole new vocabulary you have to acquire. And that, that was kind of, it, it, it gave me that helpless sense again. And uh, that it was hard to, uh, I mean, I was on a total learning curve, you know. Um, I think the benefit of it having happened there, if we want to talk about benefits, kingdom benefits, uh, we had a platform or a sphere of life, a context of living that was very visible to a lot of people. And uh, I guess as we walked through that, people observed. And we came out of it very much different in the sense that, uh, you know, it's hard for me to even think about how I had personally suffered prior to that time. I don't know that, I, I really can't even say that I am cognizant of it. Um, but Deborah and I got involved. This is after we went back, after David's death, and we stayed a total of two years in the States. Again, a concession by our mission that was extremely healthy for us. And we visited churches after about a six-month uh, waiting time. It was very therapeutic, you might say, to be able to share with people who had been involved in praying for us. And uh, so when I say platform, I, I guess I'm saying you're being observed, and it's, it's a place where people are going to witness, where's, where's Jesus and all this? And uh, when we went back, uh, something very unique happened in our lives. Uh, after David passed away, we began getting some money donations. And, uh, the memorial gifts, yeah. yeah. And we thought, what are we going to do with this? Because we didn't want to just spend it on ourselves. And we remembered when David, at a good point in his treatment, what he, he's doing very, very healthily, we were in the company of another pastor who had been visiting uh, this particular hospital's um, hospitality house. It was a private thing, actually. Well, I'm not sure if it was private or it was part of the hospital, but uh, it was very difficult for him to get access in there. They were limiting the freedom to go in there and minister because of uh, uh, you, you had a, a group of people at that that were uh, what we would call spiritists and he, he said they were trying to keep them out well david said wouldn't it be wonderful if a place a home where kids could go during when they come to campinas and they would hear about jesus and what the bible has to say well when we were thinking about what do we do with this money it just flashed into our minds, use that money to start a hospitality house 
where patients and their parents can come to the city and stay during treatment. And we would think of it here as a Ronald McDonald House type idea. It was nothing on that scale. But when we went back, we were met with a lot of enthusiasm among our friends, our Christian friends in Brazil, who uh, had a variety of uh, professional experience to bring into that process. A lawyer was one, uh, for example, and make it an official government registered uh, legal entity. And that happened like in uh, the year 2000. And it's still going after 19 years. And it's uh, fully Brazilian funded. And there's a beautiful home, a five, five bedroom, two story home. It's big. It's, uh, it's one that uh, anyone would say, uh, oh, that's, that's nice. It wasn't luxurious, but it was so beyond what generally is given voluntarily by philanthropic organizations. And uh, it's continued to really be a ministry that thrives to this day. Um, and has a very well-respected uh, uh, reputation among the community and the hospital. So I, I am, we are glad that to be able to look back on that and just say, you know what? What David hoped would happen that other people might come to know Christ happened and has happened. And that uh, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't without fruit. It wasn't without, I guess, the fulfillment of a desire that we saw in our young son's life through what he was going through. Believing that if anyone came to know Christ through this, it would all be worth it. And we're just so glad that's there because it it helps. It's, it's just a help to the parents. And I think our children as well to see that. Well, I was just thinking, what would I say to missionaries? Um, like, um, like I mentioned before, I don't think God's asking us to say, oh, praise God, you know, that all this happened to us because we're human and we still rebel against suffering. We don't we don't welcome it. But what I say is um, God can redeem any pain in our lives, you know. No matter where you are, when you're overseas, um, you know, there are some, we're protected in the sense that I was born and raised there and, you know, my kids grew up with cousins down there. So we had family, we had that kind of support. I say most missionaries don't have that, you know, other than hopefully their colleagues and um, their friends from the country. But no matter where it is, um, just because you're working as a missionary doesn't mean you're protected from things happening to you. You know, it's not like a bartering, bartering thing. But yeah, as much as we can't understand why and um, won't until we get to heaven, but he he is with you. In fact, we've never in our whole lives has more of a sense of God being with us than when we were in that situation and recognizing that it was totally out of our control and way beyond us. Um, we're as weak as we could, as helpless as we could. 
but the, the knowledge that God was with us. In fact, those are the only verses when you talk about what helps and what doesn't help someone in situations. When people would say verses like, you know, God works everything for good and all that, that those verses never help, you know. But when Steve would read verses to me in the midst, like, I remember vividly being at City of Hope, knowing our son wasn't going to make it. And Steve started reading verses to me on the character of God. Those were the only verses that would reach down to my deepest heart and comfort me. There's just power in that of who God is and that he's with you. So those are the verses to focus on um, if you want to help people. Not trying to explain it because we had, I even made a list of dumb things that people said. That was kind of like my therapy. <laughs> and I ended up writing a book in Portuguese on uh, managing loss in a healthy way. And I included it in the book just because there are things that I used to say too, because you don't know, you know, you think it's going to help. But, but for sure, the one, the text in the Bible that focus on who God is and that he's with you, those always, always were very impactful and powerful because that is the truth. You know, we are nothing without him, but we only really have a deeper sense of it when you're in situations of total lack of control, you know, and suffering. Deborah had just mentioned that she wrote a book there, and it reminded me, uh, uh, I took a little turn in what I was sharing earlier. I, I mentioned the platform or the context of life. I'm glad that we went back to Brazil mm -hmm. after David's death because uh, of the ministry transformation I think we went through. Uh, Deb and I became chaplains at the hospital on a weekly basis, practically. Uh, I was sharing with people who would come to the chapel time. And uh, I had to talk from God's word about suffering and hope and faith. And uh, what a challenge that was. And I never would have sat down to try to address that in that level had I not had to confront face to face people that were living that at that very moment that I was sharing from the word. Um, so it helped me. Uh, I also began to teach things at the seminary on suffering and uh, pain. Um, I, I believe the way I, ta I taught in, about prayer, uh, and it, it just it changed the way I approached these themes quite a bit it, for the better. <laughs> To, to bring into it more the real world rather than a kind of a disconnect, but maybe theologically correct. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that all this had transpired on the field and that um, the people that we ended up ministering to, to and with um, had experienced it with us definitely had a greater impact than if it yeah. happened to us here and then we'd gone there to talk about it, minister out of it, you know, like Steve mentioned, you know, we worked in the chaplaincy there, the same hospital, and the fact that our son had been treated there gave us total freedom because the founder of the, of the hospital had been one of his doctors, but um, total freedom to share about Christ as much as we wanted to, you know, to anybody. As long as they only ask that we be respectful of other people's religion, but we had 
because we're David's parents. We were always David's parents, you know. So I think he's the only American that's ever been treated there. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, God, God, God uses. We don't understand why, but he does um, redeem it. Like, I still can't figure out how we have peace, you know, and we have joy, because at the time, I really didn't believe that would ever happen. So you still, you still might feel some uncertainty about, you know, why things happen and why they happen the way thing they did. Um, obviously, like, you know, something like that, you know, it's painful. It's I, I can't imagine how painful that would be. And nothing could take that away. And I'm sure that, like, you know, nobody likes pain. And so when you see someone going through pain, you want to give them something. Like, here, take this. This will fix the pain for you, right? Um, which I'm, I can't imagine that actually working very well. Um, but it sounds like you have comfort in... Um, sounds like you've found comfort in the things that have happened because of that, you know, as far as your own lives and what this did for you, how it um, changed you as a person and gave you um, gave you a greater insight into life and ability to uh, meet with people and to be in relationship with people and to speak on issues like suffering and pain. Um, it sounds like there's some comfort in how David's wish to make the world a better place really came to be, um, you know, through that through that home that was set up and stuff like that. Like he made that happen essentially, um, and so yeah, sounds like there's some good that's come of it but man what an what an experience i'm so sorry guys yeah we are too yeah <laughs> i bet now i i really appreciate the fact deborah that you mentioned that that passage you know that god doesn't give you anything that you can't handle and how that really does apply to um t temptation not suffering and how mm -hmm people being in over their heads and completely overwhelmed and not handling things and even not living through things um, is actually biblical. It does happen in the Bible. Um, but to say that, you know, God God wouldn't give you any more than you can handle. And so if you're suffering and you feel like you're not handling it, then like, what's wrong with you? You know, that's <laughs> just, that's just not right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this whole area <clears throat> can be, very complicated uh, and extremely severe. I think when we're, you know, because when I looked at David, I knew that he, he had leukemia. It was a genetic issue, you know. Nobody had done him wrong. There wasn't a, a an injustice that someone did against him. Um, he was treated with dignity and with professionalism and care. I would say love and kindness. Uh, there were so many things. And I, I know there's people that go through loss, pain, loss, and grief, where part of the component of that grief is the injustice, the unfairness that they had, that was inflicted. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that takes all of this to a even a, a level of immense uh, conflict in our, in our heart. Um, I, I'm grateful we didn't have to deal with that. And I, I don't pretend to even have the answer for people that have to deal with that overseas. I just, I think maybe what, 
probably what my personal default would be is go back to God's promise. Who is he? Who is he right now? What has he said about me? What's true? What's true and doesn't change? And I, I mean, I looked at Christ in the suffering he did. You know, there was no greater tragedy in one sense and injustice than him being put to death on the cross. And yet he did it voluntarily. He took the judgment and, and we received the benefit. And, uh, you know, we, we look forward to resurrection, the resurrection. We look, for, we know he rose out from the dead. And I don't want to get, I guess, I, I think part of the challenge we, we face as Christians is to uh, not get fixated just on the earthly part, although it's real and we have to treat it in a very honest, open and transparent way. But uh, there's a day coming when God's going to set things right. Jesus rose from the dead. So that's a, a place where I think we're comforted as well. And this is a very, very short amount of time we have here on earth. And uh, well, going through this and, and come and really does mess with your theology. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Um, when you're in answer to, I mean, in the context we were where David is being treated, and I don't know what it would have been like here as far as the theology, but in Brazil, there's a lot of syncretism. There's a lot of name it, claim it. They're very spiritual oriented. So when I mentioned theology is we were given so much advice in, in the fact that, you know, you have to believe that God's going to heal your son in order for him to heal it. And and we, the chaplaincy, we had to always, um, we were up against that all the time. But we realized, I mean, because you wrestle with all these questions, you know, but we realized what and God was saying is we, um, he asked us to believe, in a sense, believe that he can heal, not that he's going to heal. So that was a huge theological issue that kind of was worked out in our hearts. Um, another thing, too, is our whole perception changed. Uh, Steve didn't mention this, but the day that we were at first in the hospital and, you know, whole, whole world's falling apart, he just cried out to God to give him a verse. You want to share about that part? Oh, yeah, that night. You know, we, I was sleep. One of us would, would be with David, and the other one would sleep in a bed adjoining the, the room. And uh, I, I, we were just crying. I, I'd never cried so hard in my life. And uh, I just said, God, if there's anything you want to say to me, I'm listening. And all of a sudden, like a, this sickness is not under death, came through my mind. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out where that was, but I figured it had to be from the Bible. <laughs> What's funny is I had been studying John, and there it was in John 11, where um, Jesus spoke of Lazarus, that this sickness is not into death. Well, being a shallow <laughs> person that I am of these kind of circumstantial, uh, is God really speaking, or is that me sort of guy, I said, Lord, if this is from you, please give me a confirmation of that. 
Well, the next day in the morning, our Brazilian pastor comes to be, visit us at the hospital. And as I'm approaching him and he's approaching me, he gets close enough to where he could start speaking. He says, Stephen, you see speaking in Portuguese. He said, I want to share this verse with you. And he quoted the same exact verse. This sickness is not unto death. And <laughs> I just started getting chills up and down my body. It was like a, an amazing experience. But I always wondered, um, now what's that going to mean? Because Lazarus, he rose from the dead. He was brought to life, but he did die. So I, I always thought, what is that going to mean for David? And I came to the conclusion um, it wasn't unto death with a big capital D. <laughs> That's how I kind of came to see the whole thing. Um, our daughter Krista had heard me talk about that experience, and she thought it meant that G David was not going to die from leukemia. And uh, that was a little bit confusing to her. And uh, anyway, it was an interesting experience. Um, and I couldn't figure out really why would why would that even be important to tell me that? I mean, I know that. But then I started realizing, you know, yeah, you know it, Steve, but you know, you need to really know it. <laughs> you need to really remember this. That this sickness is not unto death, and uh, that David has life. Oh yeah, I was just going to say. Well, one thing, uh, another um, point that you know, I heard a lot that David lost the battle to cancer, and that's a phrase I totally avoid now saying to anybody because. Um, we could really say that he was never destroyed by the cancer, you know, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of Christ, he was victorious in spite of the suffering and, and dying. So that's a phrase I never, even theologically, I, I don't say that to to anyone because um, we can be victorious even though our bodies are withering away. And then what Steve said too, even after he'd passed away, then all of a sudden it's like we saw more of the meaning and i don't think we're twisting scriptures or anything but it's it's true he's the sickness was not under death because he's living you know yeah. in the truth so that yeah. even um if we had a choice to have him come back we wouldn't want him to mm -hmm. you know well thank you Stephen, for allowing yeah, us to you. share our story oh yeah. man thank you guys for um having the courage to come and share this st story on the podcast and um, it's a powerful story, and um, I really do believe that there are going to be people, people who are touched by this, people who may have suffered loss themselves, or other people who are going to be challenged um, challenged to face the loss in other people's lives and to be a supportive community and to be a community that offers love and encouragement and um, doesn't try to fix things, you know, or make them better necessarily, but is willing to stand with uh, stand with you through whatever it is that you're going with so um, I genuinely hope that that is one result of having this conversation so thank you guys yeah really appreciate it you've been listening to TCK Care the podcast with me Stephen Black as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs hosting and producing TCK Care the podcast is a part of my ministry which is made possible by the generous support of my financial partners if you would like to make a one-time or recurring pledge, 
please go to tckcare.com slash give. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it on your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned for more TCK Care coming up next week.